I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. In this two-part episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Blasco, our new head of production for Framestore Montreal, and Chloe Rodriguez, 3D production assistant in integrated advertising, or IA, based in London. This is another fantastic conversation, but this time with two VFX production professionals at different points in their careers, production roles, countries, and working on completely different pipelines. So you can imagine what a great conversation this is. So here we go. Pull up a chair, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy episode 33, part one of the Framestore podcast with Chris Blasco and Chloe Rodriguez. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Framestore podcast, episode 33. Every two weeks, we invite both a guest from our global Framestore community and a co-host with a keen interest in our guest role, craft or career path, and we let the magic happen. On today's episode, I warm them up by inviting our guest to the Framestore podcast daily session, our 13-question grilling, followed by Thursday's second part, where our co-host leads a deeper dive into why we invited them on the pod in the first place. Our special guest this week is Chris Blasco, our new head of production for Framestore Montreal. Chris has been in the industry since the summer of 2004, where he cut his teeth as a VFX production coordinator at Sony Pictures Imageworks. Then continuing to sharpen his VFX producer toolset with roles that followed at MPC, the Walt Disney Company, and Warner Brothers Entertainment up until the fall of 2013. Then he spent over three years in similar roles with emerging tech and immersive facilities, Jaunt XR and Subversive, before landing at DNEG Montreal at the end of 2019, where he stayed for almost four years, quickly rising through the ranks to head of production. With a bunch of credits to his name, including No Time to Die, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, Chris joined Framestore this summer, and we're very excited to have him on the pod. Our co-host for this conversation is Chloe Rodriguez, 3D production assistant in integrated advertising based in London. Chloe is a welcome addition to the industry, having just graduated from Bournemouth University last year with first class honours, no less, in computer animation, art and design. I believe specialising in character character design and character development. I'll let her correct me if I'm wrong. After graduation, she quickly took on a role at Blue Zoo Animation Studio in the role of 3D production assistant and then joined Framestore just a month before Chris this summer. I should also note that this year also saw Chloe take on the role of non-executive board member of Access VFX, the industry movement striving for increased diversity, inclusion and representation across visual effects animation and games. Chloe is credited having worked on Pip and Posey season two, a favourite of my little boy many years ago with Blue Zoo, which is currently airing on Sky Kids and Milkshake and currently working on a top secret immersive ride project at Framestore. So for our production special and technically a summer new joiner special of sorts, 
it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Chris Blasco and Chloe Rodriguez. How are you both? Doing great, thank you. Thank you yeah. for that intro. You're very welcome. Chloe, great to meet you and welcome to the business and to, to Framestore. Uh, it's a really cool time to be you know, doing what we do. So exciting to hear people that are just getting into it. Yeah, really excited to be here and just like be able to have this conversation. But yeah, thanks, Simon, for the really nice intro. No, forget about it. I work hard, hard tirelessly on these intros. So they take up about half the running time of the episode, but they're, they're certainly worth it. Um, yeah, I mean, these, these episodes are quite fortuitous because uh, I work with obviously the talent development training team. and We try to kind of match co-hosts with special guests. And uh, yeah, as soon as Chloe, your name came in the frame to be with Chris, it seemed like the perfect match. But then I didn't really think that you both joined Framestore at the same time. So it's actually, like I said in the intro, quite a nice surprise that you you both joined Framestore literally kind of almost a month apart to the day. So uh, I'm interested to get your kind of perspectives on uh, your early days at Framestore as we go through the episode. I should know, I guess I should say congratulations to you both, obviously, Chloe, on securing your role at Framestore within the IA team and Chris coming in as our brand new Head of production over in Montreal. I mean, Chris, how's how's it going so far? You're technically still onboarding, I, I imagine. Yeah, technically, I just passed my uh, probation period, which was <laughs> which was great. Congratulations! You know, lots to learn in that time and lots to continue to learn. But it's been it's been really nice to see uh, a company you know with of, of this size and uh, doing this kind of level of work interact with each other in a way that feels like a much smaller company. I think that there's efforts to grow and to to adapt to now us being a five site, you know, 24 hour a day operation um, that, you know, is relatively new in the frame store history of decades. Yeah. Um, but to still feel like you have a connection to everybody around the team around the world mm-hmm. is uh, is unique to to frame store. And I think that's been a really, really great experience to have all that, that far reaching expertise, but also be able to, to feel like I can connect with somebody uh, really easily. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that was really the driving force behind this whole podcast idea was the idea of connecting everybody globally because everybody's so, so used to working as a kind of global hub. I mean, I've just actually come out of our, one of our, our, our whip screenings uh, where all the cool shows got, got kind of aired and all the kind of work in progress so far. And, and there's a lot of talk whenever they talk about the whips it's like well you know we have montreal worked on the kind of you know the modeling and the lighting took place in this part of the world and then it got sent over to melbourne to do this and it's just this whole like global operation to create this amazing content that we see on our on our screens um so yeah this uh, this podcast is really kind of really serves that in that you know even on this call we've got both of you you're working in production but both in different locations and different pipelines that's what i find quite interesting with these podcasts is i get to connect chris working on the film and episodic side with chloe working on the immersive and the integrated advertising side so right. it's always good to kind of marry those two worlds as well which to be fair are kind of getting closer as a frame store develops and that's what i'm learning by doing these podcasts but chloe tell me about your your first few months uh, how's it all going yeah, it's gone really well. I was really happy to kind of get the job. And it was just something different because I started in um, TV, so mm-hmm. with Pip and Posey. Yeah, of course. Um, and then at uni, uh, we did like, you know, like a short little film. So I'm kind of used to that pipeline and like how that works. So then at Blue Zoo, like seeing it all in action was really cool. And like mm-hmm. just seeing how it actually works in like real life, like compared to uni. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then I came here and it was just completely different. Like, I was really happy that I stayed at the production assistant level because just, like, it was kind of just relearning a lot of things because it was just very different, very technical. 
Um, and yeah, a lot of like words that I've just never heard of before. Mm-hmm. I had to learn all of that. But yeah, everyone's been really like, I just ask a ton of questions and I feel like I'm being annoying. Yeah. But like, yeah. And then they just encourage it because like there is just so much to learn and I like learning about it. And I just like, it's just refreshing and new. So but yeah, it's really, really nice. And everyone's really nice. And the office is very nice. And you can get toast, which was a perk. I was like, wow. I mean, toast is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Win people's hearts with toast. Didn't have that bluesy. I was like, well, bread. <laughs> Make your own toast. It's all the carbs you could ever need. <laughs> yeah, and they're like massive pots of jam. The pots like, of crazy. jam in London are mental, aren't they? They're amazing. Yeah. Like I, I get kind of, I mean, I mentioned it on the last episode with the training team. I get kind of envious of the the Montreal bagel mornings and they look they oh. look amazing. I'm, I'm included on the, uh, the, 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 the Canadian emails. Yeah, it's a tasty perk. But we have massive buckets of marmalade and jam. And yeah, I was in London a couple of weeks ago and uh, able to meet some folks there. And yeah, cool. yeah, that's kind of the biggest takeaway for me too, was the giant yes. pots of jelly. Very big. Huge, huge. Yeah, and all the wonderful people and getting to know, uh, <laughs> you know, learn learn the company. But it was the jelly mostly. Yeah, we got you here for the, yeah, the Chloe, it's funny that you say, you know, it, it, it's funny that you talk about um, learning the terminology because it's, it's interesting. Sure. It's a, it's VFX as its own speak uh, entirely. And then, and then one step further is each company has their own way of using that, that language too. So you, it's good that you kind of keep your ears open and understand that there's a learning curve to, to the terminology and things like that, because no matter where you go, no matter what role you do, even if you stay at the company, you're always exposed to kind of new words and new terms and new and new expressions. So I'm still, you know, like he said, uh, Simon in my intro laid out how long I've been in this business, and I learned new things coming to Framesort three months yeah. ago. <laughs> you know that I've never heard before, and you know it, you just have to get used to the the idea that there's proprietary ways that that facilities work and you learn over time and by asking all the right questions which it sounds like you're doing yeah absolutely and if anybody's listened to the the podcast so far a lot of people talk about this kind of spirit of maintaining a healthy amount of curiosity at whatever level you're at and the idea that nobody ever reaches mastery and you're particularly in visual effects like you rightly say chris you um you can be a master of your craft absolutely whether you're working as an artist or a producer but then you come into a company like framestore and You've got to learn this whole pipeline. It's a whole different way of doing things. You know, you've learned the tool set, but then you've got to learn the, the whole pipeline. And we're obviously experiencing that with, you know, onboarding Vancouver, onboarding Melbourne at the moment. And that's not without its challenges, particularly with time zones and that kind of thing. Uh, but it is that kind of ongoing learning experience. Wherever you bounce around an in industry, there's always going to be a behemoth of stuff to learn, which I think is a good thing. Keeps you sharp, you know, gets you out of your comfort zone on the, on the regular um but yeah totally and it was a pleasure to meet you in person chris on your trip recently as well yeah i really enjoyed getting yeah, to i made trips to the fifth floor to get your uh, get your toast and marmalade fixed which, uh, <laughs> it's important stuff for sure okay right so before we drop the dramatic sound effect which i'm very excited to do as you can probably tell um it's just occurred to me chris that you are this is a, this is a historic moment for the frame store podcast because you're our first ever uh, head of production i've managed to wrangle onto the podcast we've had executive producers we've had producers we've had coordinators but we've never had a esteemed head of production and i think i have an idea of what head of production does i naively but i'd love to hear from the uh, the 
the, the literal horse's mouth, not that I'm causing you, calling you a horse or any, or any, or any animal. Of any yeah, kind. do you always insult your guests? Or maybe that's why you haven't had others before. Maybe, yeah, I'm just insulting people all the time. <laughs> um, but, but Chris, can you give us a bit of an insight into the world of a head of production? What, the, what, what is the role? You know, are you still hands-on or is it more of a kind of directing role? I'd love to hear more. Sure. Um, well, cool. I mean, I'm excited to be the first head of production in the long line um, across all of our sites. And in Montreal, we've had quite an esteemed group that have that have sat in the chair, and most are still here and doing different different roles, and and uh, and still at the frames for family. So it's exciting to yeah, kind of be the the next in this line of succession. Um, the role is there is a job description, and you could you could believe it, and the day to day couldn't be more different. I think the the overall responsibility is the health and success of all the film and episodic projects mm-hmm. in the site. That means anywhere from casting the right production team and working with the head of studio to casting the right supervision team and learning from you know our, our history with our clients, whether it's the studios, whether it's the, the people involved. Um, and trying to make our best guesses on the outset of what the pitfalls that a show might run into. Mm-hmm. Um, try to plan ahead as much as you can and have enough of an in-depth view of the shows on the floor, which right now in Montreal, we've got 13 going. So that wow. is uh, a lot of work through our team each day. But having enough insight into, into the projects to be able to make decisions because not everything goes according to plan. Yeah. Um, the way I think about it is I've got a 13-piece puzzle and when one piece starts to not fit together, everything else starts to not fit together too. So trying to reshape what that puzzle looks like every day so that it can fit all together. And knowing the room that I have to maneuver to try to make that work yeah. is, uh, is a big part of the job. And yeah, I'm not as hands-on as I was when I was a producer or part of the production team. I do miss that from time to time, but I do have a lot of opportunity to check in with the shows and hear about their progress and their concerns. And then what I like most, because you know, I've been in this business for 19 years and I, I love it very much. What I like in this role is an opportunity to enact some change in the positive. Mm-hmm. So I know the problems that I've had coming up yeah. site agnostic company agnostic just industry you know problems that i'm in a i'm in a position now that i can try to to do something about yeah so i love to that to be more of a focus of the job and it and it is the you know a high priority when there's some time to do it but it really is you know first and foremost just trying to help facilitate these shows to be successful sure i mean that's i mean 13 shows in the building and that's just Montreal is, uh, is, is quite a task to have a knowledge and arguably a kind of extensive knowledge of the show and the logistics and the teams that are on those shows. Because how big is the team in, in Montreal, the production team? Um, uh, more than 100, about 110. So that's, that's a big delegation task, isn't it? Kind of making sure that, you know. Yeah, it's the biggest team. It's the biggest department um, in Montreal. Yeah. And is it is it the biggest frame store team as well? Because didn't... Montreal, with the method acquisition, it did it be- essentially become the biggest studio frame store. I might get shot down for this. But... Yeah, I don't know headcounts across the world, but I would yeah. believe it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's exciting. You know, that means we get a lot of 
a lot of really cool projects going through, um, a lot of diverse projects and, you know, it's never boring. Cool. Amazing. Well, I want, I'm going to come back to this because I think we can learn a lot from a head of production who has to manage not only the, the brevity of that amount of shows, but the, 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 the team management skills involved in managing a team of that size and making sure that everybody's career development's catered for and people are kept busy and working on the right stuff and playing to their strengths. So I, I'd like to hear more of that, but I think we need to weave that into the Davies questions because as always, I'm, I'm in danger of spending the preamble for <laughs> half the episode talking, over the, uh, talking, talking preamble and not getting into the set questions, which I know people love to hear the, the answers to. So before we get into that, I want to check if you're ready. Are you, are you, are you excited to go through the dailies that many have gone through before you now? This is that episode 33. So a lot of people have been through it. Are you feeling good about the dailies, Chris? I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm glad there's some video recorded. This is pr pressure's on. Pressure is on. Not saying I'm sweating, but this is recorded forever. It's going to live. live. This is going to be part of your legacy now. So future <laughs> podcasts will be judged by this. I'm assuming this is your first podcast, Chris. I mean, I yeah, but who knows? I might get discovered. Exactly. This is it. This is the moment for you too, Chloe. You know, I made you both famous. You know, who thought? I thought it'd be all your amazing credits, <laughs> right. but clearly it's this moment. Chloe and me take this on the road. We can be doing uh, live recordings oh, one and day, one day hit the big time. We'll get there. All right. Well, I have a good feeling about this one. This could be one of the best ones. No pressure. <laughs> so uh, in true podcast fashion, I'm going to drop this dramatic sound effect from on high. Here it comes. And we are into the dailies. Here we go. Okay. So the first question on the dailies is the classic, um, who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? And what are you working on? Which you've established 13 shows, right? Let us know which ones you can talk about and which ones you can't. This is the kind of hilarity of this question is most people can't talk about what they're working on. <laughs> so give us the who, where, what. I've given a bit away in my intro, but I'd like you to, uh, to lead that, Chris. Do tell. Sure. Yeah, my name is Chris. Um, Long-standing industry production person. I've never actually crossed the, crossed the line in, into artistry uh, because I know where my limits are. But, uh, you know, I've been really happy to be able to flex the muscle that I feel like I have and still working, you know, amongst and around creativity. So it's a really cool, unique industry. Um, where am I is, uh, is an interesting question. And a few years ago, I would have said, well, Montreal, obviously, that's where I work. But with the pandemic, you know, the borders have been blown wide open to, to where we can operate from successfully. Um, I'm American and I live in the States right now. I'm in the St. Louis, Missouri area. So for those that aren't aware, it's kind of the middle of the middle of the country. And that's strictly for family reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, COVID times had us do some some uh, unusual things. And my family was, was no different. We moved from Montreal where we were living to get some help with our kids, with our, well, we had one at the time. We needed, you know, trusted help during the pandemic. So we moved here and um, had our second child and ended up staying. And so uh, for right now, I am based here in St. Louis and traveling up to Montreal intermittently um, to get to know the team and to be, you know, uh, uh, involved in, in our team days as much as we can and get really stuck in. That's cool. I didn't know you were still in the States, Chris, because obviously I saw you having done my tireless research going through your LinkedIn profile. I see you've spent a bit of time in California, mm -hmm. various studios, and then obviously the, the move to Deneg, uh, Montreal. But I didn't realize you were yeah, working remotely as head of production. That's really interesting. 
Yeah. And, you know, what we what we proved is that it, it can work. You know, there's not without its challenges. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a knowledge sharing um, loss when you are doing everything just remotely. So frame stores, you know, real true hybrid approach, I think, is a really smart way. Yeah. Um, and I'll do hybrid, you know, instead of every once a week or something like that, I'll come and do once a month or so and be here for a few days in a row and get that exposure and, and, you know, get the knowledge share that I need from, from the, you know, seasoned team that I work with, uh, in that way. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, great, well, great example of kind of the, the hybrid world we're living in now. And again, working on all those big shows, big team, and that kind of, you know, that hybrid community you do, I think it's, uh, it's fascinating and get keen to get into that as we go through uh, this conversation, Chris, for sure. Um, so can you talk about anything you're working on? Can you give tease anything out or is it all like fully locked down? No, no, I think Don't so. Don't get you into trouble. <laughs> yeah, we have we have some products that we've put out. Uh, ooh, well, there's a trailer out for one and I don't know that we've announced that we're working on it yet. Oh, this is uh, going to okay. be a little, bit, a little bit tricky. Let's keep the air of mystery. I like a bit of Jeff. <laughs> podcast. That's fine. It will be revealed at a later date for sure. Yeah, I don't want to say anything that I shouldn't. Uh, and uh, Chloe, where are you? Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I guess I have to say country as well, don't I? <laughs> I normally just instantly say like where I am in like London. It's a global podcast. Okay? So I'm in Surrey, so just like outs- outskirts of London. So it only takes me like, I don't know, like an hour to get in. But yeah, it's pretty nice. I get to go into office quite a lot. So like, I think our team days are two days a week. So it's okay. nice to just like see people, get into London, go have some nice food. Yeah, some, some toast. Yeah, but I really like the hybrid stuff as well because it's like yeah. some days it's just quite full on, especially when it's like client calls and things like that. And I kind of prefer to do them at home where I can just kind of power through. And then when it hits six o'clock, you can just go to sleep yeah. or go watch a movie or something. It's like power down. So it's really nice instead of having to commute back. That's interesting. I mean, what, re- what really fascinates me about this world we're in at the moment is, you know, we've got Chris here who's been in the game for 19 years. So you would have been here during the before times where you would have had to gone into the studio, you know, Monday to Friday. You probably wouldn't see your family until the weekends. You know, that's, that was my experience anyway uh, of the before times. Then Chloe has uh, the next generation of uh, talent coming through. This is your normal hybrid, right? Is that fair to say? I'm sure you would have had various kind of part-time work funding your studies pre-COVID but actually in a full-time employment this is your normal right yeah it is it's like weird talking about it because right. especially when like with my team like everyone's like different kind of age gaps because it's like the whole production team so they do find it they're like oh Chloe you like didn't experience how it was before <laughs> and then there, they would say, yeah exactly <laughs> It is very, very different. Like coming in every day, I can't even like think about doing that at the moment. You imagine the madness of coming in Monday to Friday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of commuting. A lot of train journeys. It's mad. It's mad. I mean, again, I don't want to bore our listeners yeah. with me ranting about hybrid working, but even when I do, like, I mean, I've got, we've got work experience in next week and I've got to do a five day week and I'm going to be exhausted. I mean, I do three days back to back in the office and I need a, you know, sedative and a lie down like it is full on you know <laughs> I think that we did that all the time and it was the norm um but yeah I, I love that and again it kind of blows my mind that you know, you know that's your normal is the two three days in the office a couple of days at home powering through the client calls and it works right this used to be the argument for flexible working years ago that used to get debunked all the time and uh, here we are right right well, well post-covid now and we had to make that change so fast 
you know, three years ago. Yeah, right. It came, it came out of absolutely nowhere. And we were staunchly, as an industry, unable to do what we did in a week, two weeks, and mobilized an entire industry to work in a different location and continue things going. Uh, it was super impressive. I wasn't at Framestore at the time, but I was working in the business and it was a very impressive shift. To deliver, yeah, to deliver the kind of shows that we deliver, whether it's, you know, I mean, I, I did seven years at the mill and, you know, your experience at DNEG and here we are at Framestore and, you know, even Blue Zoo, you know, the, the amount of tech and software involved to deliver these shows, it was unheard of that you could do that from home. Mm-hmm. And then, like you say, it was like, right, we've got to mobilize quickly. And now every artist is set up at home globally. I think it's incredible when you think about it. Totally. And, you know, setting up that whole infrastructure. It's crazy. Oh, God, sorry. We, again, I, I get so caught up talking about the pre-post-COVID times. I find it fascinating. <laughs> but again, it could dominate our conversation. And we were on the clock here, right? The podcast rules. We can't go over time. So um, the next question, uh, which I'll ask, but I think we, we, we've established that you both joined in the summer, which is the how long have you worked here? So I'm happy to bypass that and get stuck into the really meaty part of the podcast, which is about big breaks and uh, how you got your break in the visual effects industry. Because having done this podcast now since November last year, there's so many different takes on the idea of the break. You know, some people see it as their first job in industry, you know, whether whether they came in as a coordinator or a junior. And some people see it as kind of later in their career where there was a conversation or a big light bulb moment where people thought, right, this is what I want to do. Um, Chris, what would you consider to be your big break in the visual effects industry? I grew up in New York and went to went to college on the Eastern Seaboard and had this obsession, fascination with moving to California. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the driving force. And what do you do in California? What do you do in LA? You work in the movies. So, you know, I'd always been fascinated with what really cool movies were at the time, really, you know, action movies and really impressive things that I didn't really even know what visual effects was as a term. I just knew that that was computer generated stuff that looked really cool and really and told an amazing story. Didn't think about it being, uh, being a career necessarily, but I had plans to move to California and then they kind of fell through last minute. So I moved to Florida for a little bit. This all ties together. I promise. <laughs> I moved to Florida. I worked for cruise ship uh, entertainment. I lived on a cruise ship for uh, three months. Whoa. It's a whole weird lifestyle, but ultimately uh, finally was able to move to California. And the person that I was working for in Florida had a connection, uh, an old college roommate you know, and best friend was a executive at Sony Imageworks. And when I was moving to California, this, this, this person that was my boss said, Hey, I can, you know, I can, I can intro you. If that's, if that's uh, interesting to you. And as a foolish 22 year old, uh, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll go figure out, I'll figure out my own way. So I did, I moved to LA and I started working in TV commercials just as an office assistant. And it was brutal and nothing to do with visual effects is all about commercial production. And I did not like it uh, one bit and I did it for a year and then went back to, I had stayed in touch with my old boss from Florida and went back to her and said, Hey, do you still have that connection? Which of course she did. And she was happy to make the introduction. So I, um, got hired as a P as a production assistant at Sony Imageworks. Okay. Still really, you know, fresh faced, um, you know, one year out of college, completely unaware that this would turn into 
anything, let alone, you know, a career that I, that I love, that I feel like I can be successful in. So a pretty roundabout way to land where I landed. But once, once I did that and I did things along the way, and once I landed at, at Sony doing a PA work, I, I was sold and I haven't, you know, I haven't strayed. Good for you for having to go by yourself, Chris. Even though the uh, the introduction was there, you're like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I'll be okay. Boy, and you went out there and cut your teeth. I would never encourage anybody to decline a uh, an introduction to a high level executive of a company say. you might want to work for. Um, yeah, I was a little headstrong. I think nothing wrong with that. A bunch of years ago, but but yeah, there's a lesson in there, isn't there? Take take the take the offers that come. Definitely, you know, definitely. But you know, maybe if you uh, hadn't have had that experience in in commercials because I, I imagine it would have built character right i mean crikey it sounded like it was pretty brutal it did it did that that's for sure and made me certainly appreciate um what was the, the you know the challenges getting into visual effects and i could look yeah. back and say well this time last year i was getting screamed at for what candy that i bought for the uh, for the <laughs> wow. snack table at the commercial house and it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's made you appreciate the world of production in visual yeah, effects even I think more, so. right? You know what the dark side looks like. Definitely. And career-wise, Chris, I mean, linear, in terms of linear career, you know, according to LinkedIn, it looks like a really linear kind of, you've gone from kind of those coordinator roles and you've bounced around to kind of immersive uh, kind of emerging tech companies and uh, production companies and obviously visual effects. Is it is it felt linear for you? Has that felt like a kind of natural kind of, progression or do you feel it's more of a squiggly career path that you've been on? I mean, what's your take? You know, I, I think on paper it does look really linear and in a lot of ways it is. But mm. when I feel when I in the past when I felt like, yeah, the 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 path was a little too predefined, mm-hmm. I'd shake it up. You know, so I stayed at Sony for five years and I cut my teeth there and I started as a PA and Chloe like I used to string film in a in a projector. and be terrified that I would scratch it. And then we'd have to wait a whole other day to get more film. Uh, It was, you know, that those times, you know, starting out in the industry. So yeah, I stayed, you know, I I followed a a pretty straightforward career path on the production side of things at Sony and felt like I got some really good experience. But then this kind of interest to see, you know, try something different, right? Shake it up a little bit. And, And that could be changing the company or changing yeah. yeah something that kind of offsets the trajectory um even though i was quite happy to be on yeah. i felt like i wanted to make sure that i i did explore all those nooks and crannies of the of the career path too so i let you know i i did that for a few years and and um i i'd had this bug to live in europe so after sony i just was applying to london mm-hmm. facilities I'm sure I sent a resume to Framestore uh, in my in my big, just blanket resume sends that I did. Um, but MPC was interested in my experience at the time, and, and they were growing their uh, their India team. They had just bought a company in India, and we're kind of trying to integrate them into the London pipeline. So someone there brought me on, and I'd never been to London before, but I was like, let's do it. So packed up what little I owned, um, and, and moved. So, you know, did that for a little bit, right. Different, different company, different, different culture, different Mm -hmm. way that they work. That was something of interest to me. So I I felt like, you know, I did a solid year there and learned a lot about what the industry was like over in a new company and in a new country. Yeah, of course. And then again, shake it up again, went back to California and 
decided that I really wanted the um, client side experience. I'd had now several years at a vendor side, two different vendors, two different countries. Felt cool. I, I have a lot of understanding of how yeah. the operation works there. And then went vendor side to try to, again, you know, switch it up, learn, learn something I didn't learn before. So I did that for a bunch of years too. Cool. So, um, yeah. And then again, in this merging tech that you talked about, uh, VR was an interesting space mm-hmm. uh, to me at the time and pretty tangentially related as far as uh, tech and creativity kind of merging together. So did a little kind of offshoot into into that world for a few years. And that was pretty interesting. And it was new at the time. So it was exciting to see what could be and all of the challenges that come with it. But it was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, you know, switched up again, decided that I kind of, what I liked the most was where I started, mm-hmm. which was vendor vendor side VFX. That's a great story. I love I love your phrase, uh, offset the trajectory. It's such a cool phrase that really sums up so much. Well, there's so many opportunities too, you know, and like I didn't, I didn't, I think the linear path, ultimately, I think my path has been, if point A was where I started and point B is where I am now, the line is super clear. Mm. And I think that point A to point B is exactly where I would have landed, but I yeah. do feel like I explored in my career the things that I that I wanted to to make sure that I was doing the job that was right for me that I was most passionate about um, and you kind of just have to try right totally and Chris do you think those that rich level of different experiences both in terms of cultural experiences travel um, different pipelines disciplines uh, different almost industries as well have almost defined you as a head of production and made you a better head of production. Do you think you've take, drawn from those experiences to apply to the day-to-day? Yes. For, for me personally, yes. I don't think that a head of production needs to have all these kind of tertiary, you know, tangentially related experiences to be really good at their job. Yeah. But uh, for me, uh, I think it certainly helped because a lot of what I need to do is help navigate problems. And if I've experienced it before, I can look back on how I dealt with it personally and see if there's anything relatable there yeah. for the person that's having the problem and that we can take a little bit of my previous experience and apply it to the problem at hand. And I think just by the nature of how many ways I've exposed myself to different problems throughout the years, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that I can remember and some of them you just block out. Yeah, uh, the ones that I can remember, you know, I think are, are relatable. I think there's certain uh, hurdles that, you know, every show has, every production member has, and to have navigated some of those myself, at least I can, I can offer that experience. Absolutely. No, and it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Like you say, you've got that linear career path and all of those different decisions behind the scenes. Again, it's like, don't, what's the word? Don't, uh, what you see isn't what you, what you always get. It's <laughs> right. definitely a better phrase than what I've just thrown at you there, but it kind of it, it speaks to that. So I think that's a, that's some good stuff in there. Thank you, Chris. How about you, Chloe? You know, you're kind of in the early stages of your career. You know, was your big break the, the break at Blue Zoo? Was it before then? Was it at Bournemouth? I mean, what, what would you consider to be your big break in the visual effects industry as you see it now? I think probably the Blue Zoo job, just because like, it wasn't like I started at the start of the project Yeah. because they just needed a PA. They had a production coordinator and a production manager, mm-hmm. and then they just needed the extra help. So I came in halfway. So it was quite an abrupt start because everything yeah. was already moving, like the waterfall of like everything happening was already going at high speed. So it was a big kind of leap in, but 
it meant that I could adapt and like learn a lot and just ask a bunch of questions and it kind of like consolidated everything that I learned at uni just to like see it in practice and like it's everything's functioning like right in the middle of it all yeah just meeting all the artists and everything was just really cool and like kind of making those connections and everything yeah. so yeah I was really happy I, I feel like I got really lucky like compared because like it was a really hard time to kind of come into industry mm. with like uh, like post-covid and, and everything yeah, of course. so I think I got really lucky but I was just so happy and the people around me were so helpful yeah that was probably my big break a big break yeah I'm sure yeah I'll, I'll ask you again in 20 years and see if that's still, yeah. <laughs> still, still a big one but yeah blue zoo is a great company and good folk work there for sure so yeah that access to behind the curtain you know all those artists who can draw from it's no different at frame store any any studio that i've worked in is just that everybody's always willing to share their knowledge which i think is great and that's why the the mentoring program at frame store has been so successful is people are super willing to just help and pay it forward so uh it's a good industry for that, for sure. Um, so speaking of studios, um, we're getting into the cornball question now. So I apologize in advance, but I'm going to throw it out there, which is what's the best thing about being part of Framestore, particularly as you both recently joined? You know, what's your take, Chris? What's the what's the big uh, the big win for being part of the Framestore community? I, I touched on this before, but it bears repeating because I think it is unique and special to Framestore. We get, you know, all the really exciting work the way other the way the other big, uh, you know, players in the industry do. So that keeps everybody really interested and excited and, and, and needing to learn and grow, um, as these challenges, you know, present themselves, uh, we're now leading, you know, how do we, how do we do certain things? How do we approach certain things? Uh, we certainly have our, our expertise, um, that, that studios have learned to come to us for. So I think there's so many benefits to, the work that we've earned, you know, over the, over the decades of history of frame store that has to have been earned and, and we've earned it, uh, in the studio's eyes, but the feeling that it is still a small company, um, is so unique, um, because the other big players that get all this big, exciting work feel, feel massive. Mm -hmm. And I think for those studios, it works. They've, they've figured out how to make it work. And for us, I think we've figured out how to make this work. Um, it's evolving and it has to evolve. And, of course. and everybody has that idea in mind uh, to evolve, but to maintain kind of our roots yeah. feels uh, very important to the people running things around this, this company. And that, that's something really great and unique about Framestore. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, the, where the culture piece kind of creeps in, isn't it? I mean, uh, for such a big company, I think it's quite rare for it still to be founder founder led. Uh, we still have kind of you know William at the top, and um, also William, should I say, and, and Mike McGee and Alison, and you know, sorry, it's uh, Tim Weber. Uh, Tim Weber's not a founder, but he might as well be. <laughs> right? How, uh, yeah, how long we've been sure. But all those kind of you know, starting, you know, rather than founders, more like founding. I was going to say founding fathers, but that is quite kind of gender specific. <laughs> I'm going to go founding um, parents of uh, sorts. Uh, I think uh, that's uh, that's pretty special for sure. Uh, but yeah, thank you. And I think the projects are a big factor, I think, for, for being part of Framestore. I mean, again, just coming out of the whip screenings earlier, I'm like, oh, we're working on that. I completely forgot. You know, you get, there's all the ones that are doing the rounds. And it's like, oh, you know, we're doing a bit on that, a bit on this one. And wow, these are massive legacy shows, and massive properties. So 
Yeah, super cool. Thank you, Chris. What about you, Chloe? What's the best thing so far for you working at FameStore? I think pretty similar because it's just like kind of walking around and seeing people working on the shows that I'm watching like right now. Mm. Like it's just surreal. Like you don't really expect, you just like you can just eavesdrop on people working on it and it's like, wow. And then you see it on TV like or like in the cinema or something like that. And it's just crazy. Like, you know, like as a child, you're like watching all these like, animations and I just remember like oh who are these wizards like behind the show (laughs) like how are they doing this and then now it's like I'm just walking like to my desk and I'll see exactly how they're doing it and it's just a bit crazy just the talent around a bit mad you take it for granted don't you I find that you know particularly with like NDAs and and uh, a lot of shows on lockdown as a frame store employees we do get to walk around the different artist floors and see what people are working on. You've got the reams and reams of desks and, and, and workstations and you kind of cover people's shoulders. And I mean, I was there, somebody was working on like the, the Paddington asset the other day. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I, you know, not everybody gets to see that. You know, these are huge kind of phenomenons, you know, global, global properties. And uh, yeah, it's just a, just walking around trying to get a cup of coffee and go into my next meeting and you just kind of eavesdrop on some of these amazing discussions about massive, features and pieces of episodic content that are going to be part of culture forever i just think it's uh it's super cool right so uh yeah two great answers actually thank you and neither of one of you said the people which we get all the time on the podcast so thank you for being original that's great well, of course the it's people are also nice yeah i'm not saying they're not i have to go on record too yeah yeah, yeah. So right now on record i'm not absolutely all of the answers we've had historically are absolutely merited um yeah, don't come for me, guys. For me. <laughs> okay, right. So, uh, we, so we're talking about the shows, right? So let's talk about the show that you'd show to an alien. The, t- the technical question is, if you could recommend one show that truly showcases Framestore at its best, what would it be? So what would you wheel out, Chris? Any show from year dot to now. Boy. It's a big one, isn't it? I, yeah, I was stuck on this question because I don't have enough history to really say. No worries. Um, I've got some really great projects moving going right now that I think in, in a, you know, come back to me in a year and I'd love to talk about a couple of the ones that are happening right now. Cause I think they're, they're bound for success. Yeah, that's fine. No, we, you reserve the right to skip a question. Absolutely. I mean, I should change it to, you know, frame store shows you to show your parents. Cause sometimes I'm not even sure my mum and dad know what we do. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the best, the best one is what you'd show to an alien. If we were, yeah, we were we had friendly visitors, of course. We're not talking about a uh, Independence Day situation. But we had friendly <laughs> ETs coming down. What would we show them to go? This is a frame store show, and it doesn't have to be a movie. Right. It can be a project. It can be a commercial. It can be a piece okay. Of episode. Well, okay, that's 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 a good. Yeah, thanks. I can understand that one. Um, I think a, a really uh, kind of pinnacle frame store show would be the last guardians of the galaxy because what frame store is is best known for in the industry are our creatures and there were so many beautiful mm. creatures there that were entirely cg that had millions of audience members crying over yeah. there was emotion and there was um connectability yeah, yeah. between you know what we made on screen out of nothing um, and audience members that were being told the story. So they, they looked beautiful and they did the job that they needed to do, which was, you know, tell that story and give that level of emotion. So, and there were so many different animals in that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a really good, good one to, to go back and say, you want to, you want to know what frame store can do? 
you know, it's this. It's a great example. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, one of the reels we've got at the moment, one of the creature reels that I think Mark McGee shared with me on his frame store talk or frame store history talk is the the emotion reel, which is has this lovely like uh, cinematic orchestra track on it, and it's all super emotional anyway, highly charged. And then it's all these little cut scenes of Paddington with a little glint in his eye, or Dobby <laughs> looking all sad from Harry Potter cut with um there's loads of rocket raccoon you know all these kind of characters that were built from zero to what you see on screen and to your point chris to elicit that kind of emotion from viewers and audiences particularly guardians 3 i think it's a really good example i was talking about that with my friends last weekend and my wife and we were talking about it and i was starting to well up just talking about the scene let alone watching the thing and you're super super emotionally charged amazing amazing work yeah, I mean, and, and that movie came out while I was just a fan of Frame Souls' work. I wasn't even an employee yet, um, and I was so impressed and excited to, you know, work on the next project that someone would use as their, you know, kind of perfect example of what Frame Store can do. It's a great answer. Thank you, Chris. Chloe, I know I said I don't, I'd ask you random questions, but I'm asking you all of them because I'm, I'm actually quite interested to see what your answer is to this. You know, what would you... Uh, put out there as a, uh, a go-to show that you'd show to a, an alien race? In terms of like frames, so again, like, because I've not been here long, it's hard to like kind of go back through the archives type thing. But what I've been watching recently is like Loki. Mm. I feel like it's the first kind of show that I've watched and I've noticed all of the effects. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've noticed how much there is. You know when you're just like hyper-focused on it because you work in industry now? Yeah, of course. And then just seeing how much there is and like, I wouldn't know how to kind of make all of that. Mm. And just knowing that the people around you have made that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me at the moment, that was quite amazing to just like be watching at the moment and just seeing kind of what, what's been done mm -hmm. and kind of wondering how it's all been done. And I just want to go find everyone that made it yeah, <laughs> and go yeah. ask them, like, how did you do that? I remember uh, was it earlier this year that, or yeah, it would have been uh, kind of some of the whip conversations. And I've not watched it yet. I've not I've yet watched the first season, shamefully. Okay. But there's the whole like, spaghetti effect. That's yeah. For season two, which yeah. is supposed to be incredible. And obviously saw some uh, some whips on that. But that was uh, that was the technique that was invented at Frame Store, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So again, you know, always kind of adding new techniques, which is a means is a great another great answer, Chloe. That you know, it's a, a show that also is about kind of a a brand new technique in, in the visual effects, which is super cool too. So two great answers, folks. Nice one. So Guardians 3 and uh, Loki Season 2. Good, good, good. So I'm going to move into uh, some role-specific stuff now, Chris. And this is an interesting one. This is kind of the set of questions that I personally I'd love to hear the answers to. And this is one about uh, a common myth about your, your job role or field of expertise. You know, what do people often get wrong about the, the heady world of... Uh, production or VFX production at least? I think an expectation that is really impossible is that we can stick to a plan. <laughs> Not because we're incapable of doing so, but because the the forces around us uh, don't make it so. Right. So many times I sit in a meeting when we're talking about crewing, we're talking about uh, you know artists and their their availability to join a certain show and wrap up their tasks on something and move on to something else and and the moving target that 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 is and um, you know someone saying 
okay, just tell me when, right? Tell me when this person can join or I can start that task or I can render this thing or it seems so reasonable to ask that. Yeah. And it seems like you can expect an answer, but the that's the common myth, I think, is that, that a plan can really be stuck to. Yeah. What we need to keep in mind, and that's you know a big part of my job, is to try to navigate the unexpected and try to you know maintain stability as much as you can be. And sometimes it feels really unstable. Yeah. But I know enough to know that that how disruptive that is, and to try my hardest to to offer some stability. And uh, it, it certainly takes time, and it certainly will change, even if something sounds like we've sorted it out. Yeah, you never know what's what's brewing that's going to have to change the plan. So, yeah, I think the myth is that we can stick to a plan. Yeah, I guess no plan goes, particularly in visual effects. You can have your whole plan mapped out, and of all the shows you've worked on over the years, I imagine none of them have gone. Not plan. not one, <laughs> not one. Moving parts, like you say, expectations changing, directors. Yeah. Exactly. That's good advice, right? I mean, we'll get to the advice section later, but if anybody looking to work into production, it's like this, the, the uh, un- under, uh, what's the word, undervalued, it probably is valued, but the underappreciated art of flexibility and patience and actually accepting that, you know, this is going to be a very curvy journey, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. Really, really good answer. And twinned with that then, what's the most important lesson you've learned over your career, apart from uh, not taking that introduction to a senior uh, person in the, in the in Sony <laughs> right. work. Uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned over your career today, Chris? You know, it's 19 years worth of experience. Yeah, you know, and you just, just touched on it because <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to wait a beat before yeah. reacting. And sometimes that beat is just five minutes because that's all you've got. Sometimes it can be a day or a week, but wait a beat because there's something else that's about to change as well. That's going to change your, what you need to do. Right. And not to say that there are some high pressure situations that need some quick answers, but even that you can take a minute to breathe. You can take a minute to think, and you can come back three minutes later with having just taken a pause, whatever that pause means. So I think what I've learned is to just take a beat and, make sure that you're approaching the the question or the concern or the problem with a little bit of kind of a fresh take, um, fresh eyes. I love that. I mean, that's great advice for most walks of life, isn't it? Just to kind of take a step back, don't dive in with both feet, listen to what's being said, listen to what's being put in front of you, and then react or make the decision, but not going straight in. Especially if if we have a, a you know a client partner that that feels like they're overreacting to something, if I react to a reaction, we're just building on each other. Yeah. Um, so what feels like I, you know I owe an answer, and we have to know you're yes, you're right, and let's take let's make sure that we've we line ourselves up to to successfully give that answer, give that response, and it and it can't just be a quick reaction. Um, yeah, take a considered approach. I think that's a re- that's really good advice. So that's advice from a visual effects professional who's been in the game for 19 years. Chloe, somebody who's been in the industry for less than a year. No, no, over a year. Crikey, it was last year when you joined the industry. Forgive me, forgive me, Chloe. What's your uh, biggest lesson you've learned today in your your short time in the industry so far? Have you got any big, big moments of uh, lessons learned? 
I think it's just like to not be afraid of asking questions and not to think that any of your questions are stupid. Yeah. Like I'll just go and like and be like, oh, this is probably a stupid question, but yeah, no, you shouldn't say that. I need to stop saying that yeah. at the start, like, <laughs> because it is like about it's a valuable question. And you're just going to learn more from it, totally. and just like exactly, and like what you've just said now, like everything is just like really helpful because like you come into industry and you just want to be the best like you just want to show everyone that you're good at what you do but like just taking a step to like think about past and like kind of just slowing down a bit because I feel like at uni and things like that you are kind of sped up like and you need to react quickly you need to get this grade like it's quite <laughs> pushy in a way and then when you're actually in your job you can like afford to just like calm down a bit <laughs> and like just react to things slowly and it is a bit more human because you're just reacting to people around you yeah. again just asking as much as you can because I ask those of the artist questions as well because like if I have to you know check on their tasks or something and I don't understand mm. I'll just ask them and then they'll just tell me just tell you and they're exactly yeah because <laughs> I used to be really scared to like ask because I'm like oh they're gonna think I'm stupid and nobody ever does you just ask and then you just learn yeah yeah <laughs> nobody ever does I love what you've said there Chloe about and you almost just don't say sorry or don't say this is a stupid question just ask the yeah. question I mean we always say there's no such thing as a stupid question but Yes. We still say it. I find myself saying it now. Like, yeah, I know this is a bit of an obvious question to ask, but just don't say it. You know, don't apologize. Just ask the question. It gives you more, gives you more power, but it gives you more, more yeah, it's a bit more authentic, a bit more, yeah. bit more agency with the questions you're asking rather than kind of caveating it with an apology almost. You know, I think that's really yeah. <laughs> great stuff to learn. Uh, so, two great pieces of advice there, folks. Thank you. So, take a beat. And ask those questions, get involved, be curious. You know, I mean, I, I, I adopt that on all of these podcasts because that's the role of host, I guess, is to just ask the questions because there's still stuff. I'm, I'm learning stuff all the time. I think it's a fascinating industry to be part of. So uh, thank you both for leaning into that, that, that question so beautifully. Um, so we're into my favorite subject now, which is uh, was mentoring. The, the, the joy of mentoring. And uh, Chris, over your 19 years in industry, or maybe before then, who has been your most important professional mentor or mentors? Yeah, I think that's the answer. And, and you know, there are there are some s specific people and uh, I'm happy to still call them, you know, friends and, and colleagues. The way that I've always been patient with my career trajectory, mm -hmm. because I want to make sure I'm prepared for the next step, whatever that was. So that, and that's just, that's just time and looking at those mentors and those mentors change over time, right? When I was a, when I was a PA and I'm a, I am a coord, you know, coordinator role next, that mentor was the, the best coordinator that I could align myself with that I felt he or she did, you know, the job exceptionally. And then I could take everything that I could from what he or she was doing and roll that into how I could do the job. So I've always been looking at, at what's next while making sure that I'm getting everything that I can out of what's current. Yeah. So the mentors changed quite a bit. I've had a lot over time yeah. because it's such a good way to shape your own. You know, you don't start with a style. I feel like over time I've, I've developed a style, but that's an influence of all those mentors. So I, I, I've been so lucky to have so many people that have been, you know, role models for me in their career and, and career meaning 
how do they do their job during the day? How do they talk to their peers? How do you manage down? How do you um, balance your life? Yeah. Like all those things, right, are struggles that you learn. And as you get older and, and your your career takes takes its shape and, and your life kind of also kind of carries through and, and carries on, you could potentially have all different kinds of forces on on, on how you're kind of nine to five or, or mm. what our days, you know, whatever our days are. <laughs> so, uh, you know, even that, you know, I've looked at people and just how do you navigate your life? <laughs> Yeah, I need I need some direction. That's a good question. I should include this in the podcast. I think. Um, <laughs> question forty. So uh, mentors have changed quite a bit, but I've been really lucky to have. Um, there's always been somebody that's has the job that I'm interested in learning, that has been willing to take the time to show me how he or she does it, and then you take all the best parts of everybody, and then hopefully you've developed. A- a pretty robust, uh, effective style. That's great. I mean, I what you said there about you and you, you're you're made up of almost the influence of all of the mentors you've had over your career. It's almost kind of like a, a Frankenstein's monster of mentorship where you've kind of got empathy from this person and dynamism from this person and your production knowledge from this other person. I don't know. I think it's quite fascinating, actually, that you kind of take pieces from different uh, mentors and managers and uh, people who have just taken you under their wing over the years. So, I, I shout him out again, uh, Russell Dodgson, uh, he was on the podcast uh, earlier this year and he talked about the concept of micro-mentors, so almost having just beats throughout your career of people that come and go, but they, uh, they, they, they make you who you are today, which I think is a really nice take. That's a super eloquent way to put what I took a long time to, to get at, micro-mentors. Not at all, not at all. It, it's exactly right. It's exactly what I was saying and it's exactly how I've, yeah. how I've come up in the business. It's only more eloquent than my Frankenstein's monster analogy. I'm not calling anybody a monster by any stretch. I'm not doing very well on this podcast, am I? This might be my last, my last episode. Um, what about you, Chloe? Any uh, notable mentors you'd like to shout out? So I've recently, because uh, at the last um, Access VFX event, mm-hmm. there was a girl who spoke called Alicia Huxtable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought she was really cool. So, And she said a lot of things really related to me. Um, so I kind of just messaged her. I also said hi to her at the end, but I said, you know, everyone was talking to her and I was like, oh, she's like the cool kid at school, need to wait. And then it got to the end of the day and I was like, oh. So I found her on LinkedIn and then I just messaged her and I was, because she was talking about how she had loads of mentors and she would just ask everyone to be her mentor. Um, And I was like, oh, maybe I can ask her to be my mentor. So, yeah, I just like found her on LinkedIn, messaged her. And then we kind of just got talking about like everything because like recently, I've been like wanting to like, because it's like I've just started a frame store and I kind of want to like figure out who I want to be within frame store, like, and figure out things in terms of like my job role and everything and how I want to progress. Mm-hmm. So I've just been speaking to her about that. And then, you know, when you just have things, you feel like it's only you who's feeling it. And then you say it to somebody else who's oh, in the yeah. same line and they're like, oh my yes. God, I had that too. <laughs> and it's just really like instantly validated and makes you feel a lot better knowing that you're not kind of alone in those feelings. Yeah. And then she was instantly there to give me advice on those exact situations, which I found amazing. And then I kind of took her advice with getting loads of mentors. <laughs> so then I signed up for the frame store mentoring thing as well. Yeah. And then I got, I think you might know her, uh, Sabrina. I don't, I'm going to like butcher oh, her. Sabrina Gagnon. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's epic. Yeah. Yeah. She was really, in, really cool. Chris's and, team. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you might know her. So <laughs> But um, yeah, and then I spoke to her recently and just kind of 
asked her a lot of production questions like in general because I kind of wanted to know the whole kind of line of where it went um and she spent like a whole hour just going through everything with me and I was like wow you've taken an hour out of your day to just talk to me and I was like this is amazing like I've never had this much information in one go and she was so willing to kind of give that information and she was quite excited about it so yeah I was just so brilliant yeah just talking to people because people really want to share their knowledge as well and you don't feel like they will do but they really do because it's like their own wisdom wisdom that they've kind of generated yeah and it's just so insightful and can like really help me think about things in a wider spectrum than like the kind of route that I'm now in so it's just really nice to kind of talk to people in different like roles in production Mm. and then kind of take bits like what Chris said forge your own DNA yeah those mentors right yeah that's brilliant I mean that speaks to exactly what you said about just ask like you said earlier just ask whether it be with Alicia, who was at the um, Access VFX event last month or two months ago now, I forget now, and just put yourself out there, right? What's the worst that can happen? That's something I've learned recently. I read this book, and I know everybody talks about it, but I read this book about overthinking and procrastination, and it's all about asking yourself, what's the worst that could happen? So in that situation, what's the worst that could happen? She could say no. Okay, so be it. Move on. Yeah. And it could be anything. It's like going to that meeting. What's the worst that can happen? Even if it's the worst case scenario where something, you know, you lose the pitch or there'll still be another opportunity. There'll still be something else that comes along. I always say, I think uh, Bonnie and my team always says, we're not saving babies, you know, we're not saving lives. You know, let's just, you know, just what is the worst that can happen? So I think that's really cool. And I'm so glad you've got Sabrina as a, as a mentor. Um, she was she's a friend of the podcast. She was on the podcast uh, episode four, I think. Oh, wow. OG. Um, of this <laughs> season. And she was on the Maverick episode. So she's the only person to be on the podcast twice. So, uh, yeah, big, uh, big fan of Sabrina. She's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Right. Great answers. I've got very excited about both of your answers, actually. So I'm going to move on before I get overexcited. And uh, we're going to get into the underrated tools question, Chris. What's an underrated tool or tools that are indispensable for you to do the job of head of production? underrated a straight up old school calculator oh wow always uh, is that casio <laughs> it's like a katiga i don't even know katiga. it's something i got like on amazon the, the canadian the, the american version of uh, <laughs> it, uh I'm constantly um thinking in numbers right whether it's yeah right in, whether it's in dollars or head count whether it's in um hours yeah. uh, or days and just doing straight up, can this work mathematically? Yeah, um, is always a is always a um, consideration. That's brilliant. And then, can it work realistically? Is the second part. But if it can't, if the math doesn't work, then it's a then it's a dead end. So yeah, totally. check that check that first, and then figure out is it really feasible with all the other parameters that are you know in play. But if the math doesn't work out, then move on because it's there's no way to to spin it to force it to work. You know. Yeah, I mean, I completely get that. But why do you use like a proper old school calculator? Why can't you? You can just do it on your phone now, right? Because my phone has like you know, my phone has way too many things on it, and yeah, I true. don't need to. I don't need to uh, go to grab my phone to open the calculator and then accidentally it's open true. up Instagram and then lose ten minutes yeah, there. Yeah, the phone's the uh, gateway so... to all of those uh, <laughs> dopamine hits, right? Uh... This is a single. Yeah, it has a one job. It does it very well, and that's exactly what I needed to do. I love that. You know, I would argue that that is the correct answer. And I say, you know, there's lots of different answers to this question, but that could be the correct answer because it is a 
tactile thing, right? It's a, it's not a device. It's not a piece of tech. It is a bit piece of old tech. But it's still <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I love that. It's a proper old school calculator we were at school back in the day. I think that's great. Absolutely, and like this, it doesn't do anything but you know add, subtract, add multiply, up. divide. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you do percentages. Right. Write, write funny words if you turn it upside down, all of that good stuff. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Brilliant. Great answer. Thank you. What about you, Chloe? What's an underrated tool for your role in the production team in IA? It's so different to yours. But it's going to sound really boring, but just like all the little formatting things that you can do on Google Suite to just make things clearer. Okay. Like it makes it like it will block it out if you're sending a path. Or like making things in bold and I just love all those little hacks and like the shortcuts and everything I just find them very like easy to make your task so much quicker and like just not slow you down and make things clear yeah. for everyone that you're talking to because it's just like it's so silly but like it just makes my life so much quicker yeah and I just enjoy it and like having those hacks and then like my coordinator will be like, oh my God, how did you do that? <laughs> you feel like a little wizard. Like, yeah. yeah, it's nice to kind of get your voice across a bit more clearly to people, especially when you're literally talking to so many people in one day. Oh my God, yeah, exactly. I, lo I love all the uh, the tips and tricks and the toys in uh, Google Suite. I quite like the AI generated responses now on Gchat. Oh, I haven't tried it that kind of, yet. It, 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 it measures how you, you communicate. So it will give you options on Gchat. So if you say like, Good day, if you're in Australia or Howdy or whatever. We're going complete stereotypes here, by the way. Good day and Howdy, what am I about? But yeah, it, it takes how you speak and you can just click to say a thank you or I don't know, I don't, and it completes your sentences for you. It's a, it's a wonderful relationship for sure. So uh, yeah, good answers, folks. Good answers. So moving into the advice section now, this is a great one, which is, and again, there's lots of advice in this whole episode, which I'm super grateful for. But what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in production, Chris? If somebody wants to get into VFX production, what would be the one golden nugget you would send them? I think that, yeah, we touched on we touched on so many things. Chloe, what you've brought up a few times of asking questions is just so so vital to the process. And right, to acknowledge that you know you don't know things and you want to know things and to be confident enough to ask. I think is is great, and then and you see, like you've talked about uh, Sabrina, who I do get to know, and I get to ask questions from uh, myself um, to the artists that their day to day can look pretty similar and sometimes a little bit dull. Um, but when somebody like you or anybody that has a a question that isn't based on what are they going to output that day that that spark gets a little bit brighter where they get to talk about what makes them most excited about you know what they're working on at the moment and then you have this this great conversation about their work that you know that you you weren't expecting to get an hour-long uh, answer to your question but it's because sabrina's an expert and passionate about what you asked her and you wouldn't have gotten there she wouldn't have offered that to you book an hour of your time to go through the production roles but you know, you, you asked a question and she was fairly happy to share with, you know, something that she's passionate and knowledgeable about. So I'm going to totally just take your answer because I think it's the perfect one, uh, which is just, you know, keep keep asking questions. Yeah, that's great advice. How about you, Chloe? You're in the production realm now. What's a great bit of advice that you can share? I think just like trying to talk to as many people as you can because everyone's just so interesting and like 
the one role the kind of role that I'm very excited to go into if I was to like upgrade to a production coordinator is doing rounds because like just talking to the artists and finding out how their work is going but also just having a conversation with them I will just talk to anyone and like talk to them for a bit too long but like you just find out so much about like everything that they've done and it, it it's kind of what keeps me inspired every single day like working here yeah. is knowing that there's such talented people around they're also so interesting because we are in an industry where we're all behind our computers like all day people actually have like really interesting activities that they do on the side that just just complete <laughs> contrast like my coordinator in my project she does like hoops which is you know like aerial hoops never just, I've never known anyone to do that and it's just the craziest thing it's like what you would get like at a circus oh right yeah. people like in the hoops in the air doing like acrobatic oh wow and I'm just like wow <laughs> and people do all these like cool things and like I don't know I just feel like it's such a contrast to the kind of like behind the computer jobs that we do people are just really interesting I just love talking to people to find out all these like crazy things yeah I wonder if there's something in that with VFX artists, because they are so on the box all the time, whether their personal pursuits are anything. I mean, a few people have said, um, you know, I think uh, Matt Hughes said it, modelling, said, what do you do in your spare time? He said anything that doesn't involve a screen, like literally just yeah. get out, <laughs> whatever it is, whether it's going for a walk in nature, running, or anything that isn't just staring at your blank mirror or your, you know, gaming or whatever it is just you know otherwise you just bounce from screen to screen so i think uh, there's got to be something in that these are these crazy eclectic uh, hobbies that people have for sure yeah it's really interesting i haven't come across <laughs> hoops but that's uh, yeah, i think i know what you mean yeah brilliant well again um really really good advice folks thank you so um we're getting into kind of some of the kind of the fun questions now but before i do then the question next question is chris what's uh, one question you wish i'd asked you and how would you have answered it? So have I covered all my bases or is there something you were dying to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I th no, I think this is the most uh, well-rounded set of questions um, <laughs> that I've seen so far that, that covers all kinds of areas. Brilliant, I'll take it. And got me to talk about my weird time at the cruise ship. So that that doesn't usually come up anymore. I, know, I never knew that. That's what I love about this podcast <laughs> is you hear about these random facts. So now people will ask you that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's how I really got started. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, you would have yeah. had loads from working on a cruise ship. I mean, that is foundational, formative years. Y yeah, I learned that it's not for me. Oh, yeah, there is that too. That's amazing. But it is for some people. Boy, that yeah, they're lifers. Wow. That, you know, their address is the ship. <laughs> um, and they that's what they know and love and, uh, and good on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, there is, you've touched on so many different facets of our day, our job, our, you know, our experience, our passion. Cool. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that feedback and I'll raise you the next question, Chris, which is who would you like to hear on the podcast next and why? Who would you want to be in the, the hot seat that you're currently in? What I find really fascinating, right? I've done visual effects for a long time and I think the uh, amusement park rides, you know, oh, yeah. what Chloe, what you're, what you're in, this this, this interactive it was so cool. I had a little bit of experience at it before. And um, I think it's just like certainly the, the way that these big, huge amusement parks are going to go with just uh, immersive content, you know, and they need companies at the forefront to, to be able to make that stuff because it's such a black box of knowledge. 
when you're dealing with um, with a company that's been around for 50 years doing traditional, you know, rides on rails, and then all of a sudden having motion bases and, and IMAX size screens through your whole ride yeah. is a completely different experience that they're giving guests at the park. And we as an industry are so positioned to make that kind of content really successful and and cool. And then I know Frame Store has been doing it for a really long time, considering, you know, uh, how long that, that's been around. Um, and I, I'm just so curious about it. So I think anybody in that world that can speak to its, uh, you know, its current, its current kind of shape, um, and and even what what do they what do they see, you know, rides looking like in ten years from now, and and what are we going to be doing to to make content for those rides? Could be cool. Well, you're, you're welcome that I've connected you to Chloe already. So you already I know, got I know that network already in place now. Now I'm going to go to you exactly and talk. Tell me what's going on. Yeah. So you're welcome. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. I mean, is uh, whenever I talk about what Framestore do to my friends outside of the, the industry, yeah, we you know you always talk about film episodic commercials, and then you throw in theme parks, and I think it's such a cool badge of honor that we do immersive rides, theme park rides, and it is proper in this world of AI and emerging tech and existing tech and augmented reality. Something about a, a, a theme park ride is like it's hands-on it's it's mechanics it's engineering it's you know some of the talks i've attended from people in that part of the business it's fascinating you go on set and you're designing these spaces it's, it's literally engineering of sorts right it's crazy proper get your hands dirty get your spanners out and uh yeah absolutely and, and, uh, build something right from the ground using your hands i think it's incredible super exciting Okay, right. So somebody from that part of the world, we'll do our best, Chris, for you. I've got a few people on my hit list for sure. We did have Carl Woolley on the podcast back at the beginning of the year, but we'll probably get some more of the kind of more members of his team on for sure. How about you, Chloe? Who would you like to see in the hot seat on the Frame Store podcast? Um, yeah, kind of similar with like the rides people, because it is just a crazy world. Like, I just didn't expect it to be this mad. Like, it is just so technical and there's so much to it. I'll go with my original answer for now, but that was a, I was just looking to add on because it is it is a really cool like area. But I was gonna say originally that I'd just like to maybe have more like junior artists mm -hmm. like to talk yeah. to because like I'm just really interested in how things are at the moment and how people yeah. are coming into industry right now and how they're feeling and how they're navigating the world at the moment, especially with like the strikes. But although I think it's like ended today. As of today, it's literally. on LinkedIn. Yeah. It's a historic yeah. recording. <laughs> yeah. Not just because we've got our first head of production on, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I just find it really interesting mm. talking to people about how they are at the moment and how they've been navigating kind of the fixed term contracts and everything and keeping that inspiration up as well. Yeah. And how they're doing that and how they're coping with that. Right. But yeah, that's what, I'm a big advocate for like talking to junior artists and making sure that they're all like still persevering and keeping inspired and everything. Uh, me too, for sure. And actually, our next episode, we've got uh, two more junior artists on. We've got a Amazing. double whammy coming soon. Cool. I won't give it away yet, but it's kind of a part two to one of our previous episodes. So <laughs> watch this space. Um, okay, right. We're going to finish with the fun pairing question. And uh, this is why people tune into the Frame Store podcast, Chris. So I hope you've got a great answer. Hopefully a bit more uh, exciting than the training team's one on the last episode where we had vegetable sandwiches and cheese pizzas. <laughs> okay. uh, no disrespect to Jignesh and Kelly, but come on, we need to up our game there. So if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, Chris, what would it be? 
So you both might have had this meal before because it's only in London. Okay. Uh, when I worked for MPC and I lived in London, right across the road was this kind of lunch counter type Thai curry place called Papaya. Oh, yeah. Um, and I used to go there too much, too often. It was dirt cheap. It was so delicious. And it was across the street. And that was 12 years ago. And to this day, and that, that this, my answer has been the same for 12 years, which is papaya's green curry. Ugh. And it is just so good. If you haven't gone, go. When <laughs> I was in London, you can do it in an hour. Because when I was at Chancery Lane, I walked to papaya and my food, got back. In one hour's time, even though the uh, Apple map said it was permanently closed. And I was like, I don't believe it. I have to tug on those doors myself before I believe that that place is no longer there. And that was wrong. And they were there. And I was very happy. Yeah. So that that has been my longstanding answer. And um, and I confirmed it last month that it still holds that position Amazing. in my head. I don't think I've <laughs> ever been. I've worked in Soho for many years. I, mean, I, think I've, I know of papaya. But Go I get it. It's so good. It's so good. Is it still as good as you remember it 12 years ago? Yes, yes, yes. All right. Yes. Okay, people, <laughs> let's all do a big field trip to papaya for our, our Thai green curry. And funny enough, uh, having, you know, you, your formative years were in New York, Chris, my go-to is actually, and it's not there anymore because COVID killed it, Ugh. is in Chinatown on the corner of uh, Canal and Mott Street. There's a place called uh, Bassanova. It's in the basement, so it's got a little, it's a basement door. And it's a uh, it's a ramen place, and they did this green chili ramen there, and it is the stuff of dreams. And whenever I used to go to New York with the mill, as soon as I got off the plane, whatever time it was, I would go to Bassanova and get me my green chili ramen, and I'd be set for the yeah, week. I hear you. It was the best. And uh, sounds amazing. I hope they come back. So you know, next time you're in New yeah. York, let me know. You've got the address. All right, got it. <laughs> Check it out. Um, Chloe, what about you? What's your, your desert island dish? You guys know what biryani is? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Mm. Yeah, biryani. like a lamb biryani. Like, it's like proper made, like, you know, with the like flour kind of bready dome mm. that they could like steam it in. Yeah. I could live. It's, it's so good. Like, it's got rice, potatoes. Like oh. me, everything in one. It's a complete oh, meal, biryani. Every yeah. day, I can do it every day. It's so good. <laughs> there's a place where I used to live in New Malden in Surrey, and there's a place called Paprika, and they would do um, a biryani, and then it'd be a very thin omelette over the top. Oh. So it'd like how, and then you'd kind of, and it was unusual, but so good. But yeah, I mess up and eating biryanis mm. for years. That, was, that could be my go-to after the ramen for sure. See, you've upped, yeah. you've upped our game on the podcast from the last episode. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Thai green chilies and biryanis. That's what we're talking about, people. Amazing. All right, before we go, um, this wasn't one of the original questions, but it was started by Sergio on episode one, which is, uh, what do you listen to while you're working? If you do, we have a, a Spotify playlist that accompanies the podcast where people volunteer a track to the playlist, assuming you listen to tunes while you're doing your deep work. Uh, Chris, is there a go-to artist or track that you would add to the playlist that you listen to when you're doing the deep work on your calculator. Well, obviously, I just listen to your podcast all the time on, on repeat. <laughs> well, of course, yeah. Right. It's the best thing out there. That's what you need, exactly. Well, thank you. Right answer again. You're winning um, the podcast, Chris. <laughs> but, no, you know, I'm not that, I'm not that person that can, uh, that can work with music and not get distracted by it. Yeah. So, 
it's tough for me to do it. Not even some ambient whale noises. Or... <laughs> I have enough uh, distant child crying noises because oh, of my okay. two You've kids got at home. That so. going on. That's a soundtrack in itself. Yeah, no, I have no good answer here because I just, it's not something that I can uh, be productive while listening to music. Okay, well, fans of the Spotify playlist don't expect any musical interludes from Chris Busco. But Chloe is going <laughs> to save the day, I'm sure. What have you got, Chloe? Come on, hit us with a an artist or a track yeah i guess it's in production but we're in so many meetings all day long i know it's, it's hard, hard. Isn't it? it's more of an artist thing yeah but like when i do get like i don't know like an hour free i'd probably go for something quite mellow because again like like chris i do find it hard to kind of concentrate because then i just find myself singing along and it's mm. like okay this is kind of good. I, think <laughs> I think bombay bicycle club any oh, yeah. of their tracks is just so mm. chill and vibey and it just helps me like kind of get on with work cool no they're good little band the bombay by the bike god i sound like an old man the bombay bicycle <laughs> club bombay bicycle club <laughs> in it. um yeah throw us a couple of tracks uh, uh on the chat uh chloe will make sure they uh they head up the uh the spotify playlist this week so uh that brings us neatly to the end of part one of our episode both. So thank you both. It's been a historic conversation. Again, a deep dive in production and our first head of production on the pod. So uh, super grateful for that conversation both. And we'll see you back here on Thursday where I'm going to hand the reins over to Chloe and I'm going to take a back seat for my, my questions. And Chloe's going to own that episode, Chris. So I hope you're prepared. If you thought that was a grilling, you wait till Chloe takes over the, uh, the pod. <laughs> It's going to get real. Looking forward to it. Amazing. Thank you both. <laughs> well, that was part one. Join us for part two of the Framestore podcast out this Thursday as Chloe takes over the podcast, reigns as co-host and interviews Chris. See you then.